Good morning. So Pastor Adam mentioned that we've had some special people here with us at our church this weekend. Now I was thinking about um, what something would be like from a kid's perspective. So I was thinking, and actually someone just mentioned this in our Bible study upstairs. They didn't even know I was going to talk about it. But they said, when kids are young, at a very young age, they start saying something that you've probably all said. That's not fair. Have any of you ever said that? Yeah. So I was thinking about when I was a kid, that I was always saying that about something my sister or brother got to do or got to have that I didn't get to have. So you guys kind of know a little bit about um, the idea of something being fair or just. Well, this weekend, some of the people that um, have come to share with us at the church had something uh, very, very unfair and unjust happen to them. And maybe some of you have had, um, felt like something unfair has happened to you before. They have a very big story about that. But what happened is that they um, got blamed for something they didn't do. Something happened, and the person who did it didn't get in trouble for it, but they did. And I was trying to think about what would God, what does God feel like when something like that happens to one of us? You guys have any ideas? What do you think God feels like when something happens like that? That's right. You knew what I was going to say, didn't you? That's what I was thinking, too. I think you're right. I think God feels sad when something unjust happens. But yesterday, when um, two of our guests were here, um, Evan and Larice, they were. we asked them, what happened when that hap- when something really unfair happened to them? And they both said that they prayed a lot and they talked to God a lot and that they were able to let go of their anger about the unfair and unjust things that had happened to, to them. And when I heard them say that, I thought, wow, with God all things are possible because when something really, really unfair happens... Gosh, that is hard. That's a tough thing. But somehow, God's love filled them up so much that they could forgive even the most terrible of injustices and unfairness. And so, um, I hope that um, the adults will get to hear uh, Mr. Ricky's story today, but um, we'll be talking about some things in Sunday school, too. So, will you pray with me before we go? Gracious God, we thank you that your love is steadfast even in the most difficult of times. Help us to always turn to you. Help us to share that love and that forgiveness with all of those that we encounter. We pray especially today for those who work for justice in the world. We ask you to bless them in their work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, so we can go down out this door to Sunday school and then parents can pick you up afterwards.
Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Holy One, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and strength to follow the path you set before us through Jesus Christ. Amen. The Old Testament lesson is from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. You can find it in the Old Testament section of your Pew Bible uh, on the pages 866 or in the large print Bible 1060. Hear what the Lord says. Go down to there. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson is Matthew uh, 6, verses 9 through 15. You will find it on page 6 of the New Testament section of your Bible, or in the large print edition on page 7. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. This morning, our reflection on the word will come to us from uh, the Ohio Innocence Project and from our guests, Mark Godsey and Ricky Jackson. The reflection on the word in Christian worship is intended for us to hear God's word to us in scripture and then hear how it applies to us in real life. We have heard two passages of scripture this morning that talk about love, justice, 
and forgiveness. And now you are going to hear God's work in the world around those scriptural ideas. Donald Castor is a Knox Church deacon and is an attorney with the Ohio Innocence Project and an assistant professor of law at the University of Cincinnati. Donald will welcome our guests. Good morning. We're pleased this morning to be joined by Mark Godsey and Ricky Jackson. Ricky, as many of us learned a few weeks ago when Ricky joined us the first time, was incarcerated for an offense he didn't commit for 39 years, and Mark will tell you his story in a moment. First, let me tell you a little bit of Mark's. Mark is the Daniel P. and Judith L. Carmichael Professor of Law and the director and co-founder of the Ohio Innocence Project at the University of Cincinnati College of Law. After obtaining his JD at D, Ohio State University, Mark's practice included being a law clerk to a federal appellate judge on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. He was an associate at the international law firm Jones Day and eventually accepted a position as an assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, prosecuting crimes ranging from political corruption to organized crime to hijacking. Eventually, though, Mark would make his way back to Cincinnati and the University of Cincinnati and in 2003 co-founded the Ohio Innocence Project with then Cincinnati City Council member John Cranley. Since OIP was founded in 2003, the work of the Ohio Innocence Project has been responsible for the release of 28 men and women who have served in total over 530 years for crimes they did not commit. Mark's legacy and OIP's legacy goes beyond those 28 lives restored and families reunited. It also includes the hundreds of lawyers in our community and our nation who were trained in part by OIP, who now do work ranging from public defense to prosecution to military justice to civil litigation. I've been with the Ohio Innocence Project as an attorney since 2012, and I am grateful to Mark for the work he's done and continues to do to create and maintain an environment and a place where I and my colleagues are privileged to do the work that we do, working for justice and with some of the most amazing clients a lawyer could ever hope to meet. It's my privilege and pleasure to welcome to our Knox family this morning, Mark Godsey and Ricky Jackson. Can everybody hear me? Okay. First of all, thank you for having us here today. Um, it's very important for us to spread the word about our work, and I think you'll find Ricky's story today inspiring and illuminating in the scriptures. So um, first I'm going to tell Ricky's story, just the facts of the case, and then I'm going to have him share some of his experiences. In 1975, Ricky was 17-year-old kid in Cleveland, Ohio. And one day in his neighborhood, a man was gunned down in broad daylight in the middle of the street. What happened was there was a, a little neighborhood deli, a bodega, that Ricky used to go to all the time. Everybody in his neighborhood did. And once a week, a man would come in and with a briefcase, and he would collect the money orders and different things. And uh, on a particular day, he was there, and some people were waiting for him outside. 
And when he came out with his briefcase containing the money orders, a struggle ensued. They tried to take it away from him. And when he wouldn't let go, they threw acid in his face. And when he still wouldn't let go, they beat him with a pipe and then shot and killed him. As you can imagine what happened when something like that occurs in broad daylight, a crowd soon gathered and the police came. A sheet was put over the body. Um, and a 12-year-old boy who was standing there at that time named Edward Vernon stepped forward to the police and said, I saw what happened, and it was Ricky Jackson and his two friends, the Bridgman brothers, who did this. The state went forward and brought charges against Ricky and the Bridgman brothers based on this testimony of a 12-year-old. By the time he tried, testified at trial, he was 13, and they sought the death penalty against the three of them, and they received the death penalty. So Ricky and the Bridgman brothers were shipped off to Ohio's death row. By pure luck, a few years later, they were moved from death row to life in prison when the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Ohio's death penalty statute was unconstitutional, and everyone who had been convicted under that statute was moved to life in prison. At that point, Ricky was a couple of months from his execution date, and his two best friends, the Bridgman brothers, I believe one was 10 days and one was seven days away from their execution date. So if not for pure luck, um, they would have been executed back in the 1970s and not available to see their redemption so many years later. We got involved in the case particularly because these guys had been screaming their innocence from prison. And when we looked at the case, um, you could see that Edward Vernon's story was changing constantly, which is a huge red flag for us. And we got involved to do DNA testing. We were going to try to find the evidence, like the cup that the perpetrators held, to see if we could test it for DNA. At that time, our students at the law school reached out to Ed Vernon, who now was a man in his 50s, and said, we'd like to talk to you about the case. And he said, I saw what I saw, and he hung up. And our investigation went cold. We couldn't find the, the, the cup. It had not been preserved by the police. We couldn't find any DNA. Um, a couple of years later, Ed Vernon got very sick and was in the hospital and believed he was dying. And his pastor came to visit him and said to him, you know, Ed, you've seemed like you've been a very troubled person. And um, I would like to talk to you about that. Is there anything you would like to share with me? And for the first time, Ed Vernon broke down and cried and said, when I was a kid, I lied. And I sent three innocent men to death row. And it's ruined my life. And he called it the, the life from the pits from hell. We were informed of this recantation by Ed Vernon, and our students went out and investigated. Ed said he was actually on a school bus several blocks away, and all the kids heard the shots, and they got off at the next stop, and they ran down to the little convenience store. And we were able to, almost 40 years later, find kids from Ed Vernon's class who were able to give, now grown adults, able to give testimony that Ed Vernon was on the bus with them that day, and they all knew that he was lying in this trial. We were able to corroborate the recantation. So in November of 2014, after Ricky had served 39 years in prison, we presented all of this evidence to the court and asked for his conviction to be overturned and for him to be released. The hearing, which is like a trial, we were going to present these witnesses, was to start on a Monday at 9 a.m. And the judge who was presiding was only going to be there for a couple more months. His term was ending. And we already knew that the judge who was taking his place um, was a very tough judge. She had been a, pros been a prosecutor for many years. We wanted the case heard in front of this judge who was retiring. 
We show up at 9 a.m. on Monday morning to start our proceedings to exonerate Ricky. And the prosecutor comes in and says, we've got a deal for you. We will drop all the charges against Ricky if he immediately pleads guilty and we will agree on time served and he can walk free today. The judge looked at us and said, listen, listen, I'm trying to finish up my docket before I'm out of here. If we're not starting this today, I'm kicking this to the next judge. So you got 10 minutes, 10 minutes to come back here and tell me what your answer is. So my co-counsel, Brian Howell, and I had to go back to Ricky, who was chained and shackled at the ankles and knees in the holding cell, and say to him, you can walk free today if you say you did it. Or you can go forward, and it's hard to give odds at a victory here. I'd say they're 50-50. If we lose, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. But you've only got 10 minutes to make up your mind. So my first question to Ricky is to explain what you were thinking and what you did in that situation. Good afternoon, Knox Presbyterian, Pastor Adam. Again, thank you folks for having me and my wife here. We always, can anybody, everybody hear me? I'm sorry. Uh, we always have a great time here. Okay, thank you. Um, and the choir was fantastic. I actually thought that was piped in music. They were great. <laughs> <laughs> they were great. Um, before Mark and uh, Brian came into the room, I was just sitting there thinking about the day's events and how they were going to unfold. And um, they come in, and Mark says exactly what he said to me. Ricky, sorry to have to hit you with this, but you know this judge, this is his last day on the bench. He wants to get this case done with the day. We can take a gamble, or you can take this deal. You can live your life as a convicted felon out on the streets a free man, or we can go back into court and see where see what happens. I don't know how long it actually took, but it seemed like it took an eternity for me to come to the conclusion about what I wanted to do. But in my heart of hearts, I always knew what I had to do. I mean, I've been in prison at that point, up to that point, 39 years. That ride from prison to the courthouse was the first time that I had actually ever been out of prison in 39 years. And I remember rolling down the freeway um, in the back of the police van, and I was praying to God that whatever happened on this journey, I wanted it to happen today, right now. I wanted it. I needed a conclusion. And um, I knew I didn't want to go back to prison. And so I'm sitting here with the decision to make. Do I plead guilty to something I know I didn't do unequivocally, or do I take my chances? And um, I just said a prayer. I said, God, I'm so tired. I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm going to trust in you, and uh, I'm going to fight. I'm, I'm innocent, and that's what I'm going to stand on. That's all, that's all I got. And um, I told Mark, ma'am, um, I really don't have to think about it, which I actually did. <laughs> um, no, we're going to go in there and fight. I, I felt like I was in good hands with my legal team, Mark, Brian, Donald, Jennifer, and the rest of those guys. Um, and if we lost, it wouldn't be because they didn't put up one heck of a fight. And so it was my prayer, my team, we went back in that courtroom, and um, we actually won. 
Ricky was freed at the end of that week. The hearing concluded on Friday. Um, Ricky spent two and a half years on death row. And our society labels death row inmates as the worst of the worst. Um, but he had to, as an innocent person, as one of us, somebody who had never done anything wrong like that, had to live amongst them. Um, so I'd like you to tell your experiences with living with people like that. It's When you're innocent in prison, it's, it's kind of different. You have a different mindset. And being on death row for two and a half years, although I never took an innocent life, I never harmed anybody physically, I was looked at as the worst of the worst. And I had to live with people like that every day, 24 hours a day. And um, I was one of these people. I was one of them. And I got to know these people as human beings, irregardless of what they did or why they were back there. Um, like I said, we were together 24 hours a day. I listened to man's stories. They listened to mine. I heard their tears at night. They heard mine. And I got to know the human side of people. And um, I'm not a judge and I'm not a jury, but um, I believe that everyone is redeemable. And um, I really got to know these men, regardless of whether they were guilty or not. Um, I was looked upon as a murderer, as one of these heinous, heinous people. And it's so difficult knowing the truth when everybody sees you as something else. And I saw these people for what they really were, human beings in need of help. Um, so Ricky had to serve 39 years, two and a half on death row, and then 36 and a half years after that. Um, talk about your evolution of your spirit during that time, how you survived and how your spirit survived. Coming off death row, I was so confused about why I was in prison in the first place. Um, there was so much that was withheld from us initially. I was angry, I was bitter, I was resentful, I hated the whole world. I felt like everybody was in on this conspiracy to put us in prison and take my life. And um, I was well down the road to some very destructive behavior, fighting, rebelling against the prison system, um, just doing all kind of stupid stuff uh, to get myself in trouble. I remember one day, um, there were some guys in, my, in our common area where we watched TV at. Um, they had a reading circle, and they would sit there, and they would talk and laugh and discuss books. And I, kind of, I thought it was kind of stupid, actually. Um, but one day, a guy asked me, say, um, you just got out of hole again. You're always in trouble. You're fighting. You just, you know, um, why don't you sit down and read with us sometime? And I'm like, man, this is prison. I'm doing life. What the heck am I going to do? with the book. Thank you, sir. Um, <laughs> and so my curiosity finally got the best of me, and I went over there and sat down. And um, honestly, it was a moment that really changed my life and turned me around complete 360. Um, that reading circle offered me the opportunity to really look inside myself and decide what I wanted to do with my life, even though I was in prison. I couldn't let myself become a prisoner. I had to evolve and continue to move forward, and that's what I did through books. Um, I became a voracious reader. I read everything. I read a lot of classics. I mean, 
there wasn't a book that was off limits to me. I just loved to read, and it just expanded my imagination, and it gave me something that was missing. You know, it gave me something that was missing. Talk about your journey with spirituality and religion while you were in prison. Actually, I've been a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Rastafarian. Um, I studied every religion I could get, you know, that people, other inmates might have been studying because I was curious about it. And um, the common theme and the common thread through all those religions that I studied is that, to me, it was the same person speaking in different languages to different cultures. But to me, I could not discern this God from that God. When you set aside all the, the tenets that come with prospective religions, it was still the same God to me. So as I said, at the end of the week in November of 2014, Ricky was freed. And there was one thing he told us that is really important to me, the first thing I want to do, and I want you to tell that story. I told uh, my legal team, Mark and Brian Howe, that I actually wanted to meet Edward Vernon um, because I wanted to forgive him. I hadn't seen Edward Vernon outside of his courtroom appearance since uh, they sent us to prison in 1975. Uh, he was a 13-year-old kid then. He's a middle-aged man now. And um, I wanted to meet him. I wanted to look at him. I wanted to talk to him. Not to ask him why, because it didn't matter anymore. Sometimes you could never know the answer to why. Um, but Mark set up the meeting. We met in his, his church. Um, and we sat down and we talked. Uh, I talked about his life, what he had been going through. He already knew what I had been going through. And um, basically, we talked for a while, and um, I just let him know in no uncertain terms that I forgive you, man. Whatever happened to us in the past was out of our control. A lot of it was out of your control. He was a 13-year-old kid. And we sat there and we talked, and uh, at the end of our conversation, we both stood up and um, we embraced, and I whispered in his ear, I hope you have a good life. And um, his body, while we were embracing, just seemed to go light in my arms. And it was a weird feeling. Even today, I don't know if I imagined it or if it really happened, but I could feel a tremendous sense of relief lift from his shoulders. And to me, that was a signal that it was time for me to move on and enjoy the blessings of this new life that God had given me. Thank you for having us here today. and Mark, we'd like to pray for you. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your witness to us 
in ancient days is as real today as it has ever been. You are a God of forgiveness. You are a God of love that flows from that forgiveness. You are a God of justice, which is what love looks like in public. You are a God of reconciliation and resurrection, who creates new things all the time. We are grateful for your movement in the life of Ricky Jackson, for his amazing story, and for his sharing it with us today. And we pray for him and his family. We are thankful for Mark Godsey and for the whole staff of the Ohio Innocence Project and for the work that they have done and for the work that lies before them. We ask your blessing. We pray for all of those they have helped to exonerate. We pray for people who remain in prison wrongfully accused. And as Ricky has so faithfully reminded us, we pray for all those who are in prison today. For they are all your children. They are all human beings, children of God. Like each one of us, they have made their mistakes and seek your forgiveness and your love. So we pray for them all. We thank you for this faithful witness this morning and for this real indication of the power of your word. Amen.
us remain standing as together we join in the affirmation of faith in our bulletin. We believe that God has revealed himself as the one who wishes to bring about justice and true peace among people. That God, in a world full of injustice and enmity, is in a special way the God of the destitute, the poor, and the wronged, that God calls the church to follow him in this. For God brings justice to the oppressed and gives bread to the hungry, that God frees the prisoner and restores sight to the blind, that the church must therefore stand by people in any form of suffering and need, which implies, among other things, that the church must witness against and strive against any form of injustice so that justice may roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You may be seated. Friends, in response to an amazing story of amazing grace we heard today, we're reminded that we are called to be vessels of God's grace, and God gives us every gift we need in order to do that. So in gratitude for those gifts, we return to God a portion of our lives, our money, our time, our talents, in our morning offering.
us pray. God, thank you that we have these gifts to share. And we dedicate this money and our whole selves to be used for your glory, to help build up your human family and all creation in love around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And we continue to go to God in prayer, sharing with God our joys, our thanksgivings, our concerns, along with the list in our bulletin. Let us pray. God, thank you for the witness of Ricky and his family and Mark and his team to your way of being in the world, that you give us one another to do life with, to grow in love and understanding of one another, and to forgive no matter what. God, thank you for reminding us that our true freedom rests to the extent that we forgive one another as you have forgiven us. Thank you, God, for this very simple message. And we know as humans it is not easy. So we thank you for your love, your Holy Spirit that empowers us, that changes our hearts and minds to grow in grace and acceptance of one another. God, we're aware of strife around the world where fear trumps any forgiveness, where grasping after power tramples on any desire for building up the common good. So we pray for leaders, for hearts and minds that would be changed and transformed to seek after you and your goodwill. We pray for all who are thou a safe home today, for refugees, asylum seekers, immigrants, for the homeless in our nation, in our city. God, show us best how to care for those who need a safe haven, whether friend, family, or stranger. And God, we pray for all who live in bondage today of any kind, in body, mind, and spirit, that we would learn to trust you with our whole lives, and to help give, give us wisdom to know how to set others free in your name. So God, now in this space, we lift to you our other prayers. In silence or aloud, we pray. God, thank you for hearing us, and we now pray. All